Hello, and welcome to Drink Six of Business, Baseball, and Bourbon. Thanks for coming back for another round. Um, we broke it up. We broke up our uh, talk of value in PT this week to bring something that I didn't know I was going to be doing, uh, and that is actually an interview with the uh, members of my patient panel from CSM in Anaheim a week or two ago. I've lost track of how long it's been. It's been a big blur, but we had the patient panel at CSM, got some awesome feedback, and thought it'd be great to bring it out to all the people who maybe didn't get attend. But even if you did attend, you're going to hear um, some great insight. I told uh, got Lisa and Aaron on and told them, look, let's let's look to go for about 20 and 30 minutes. And the content is about an hour long, and it's because it was so good. There was no way we were cutting that short. They have such great insight, and they have such good um, ways of sharing that insight, not, not as a way of bashing people. That's the beauty of this, is if you take it personally and just think they're bashing you, you you're missing the whole point here. Step one is an awareness of, and acknowledgement of what the current system is set up to do and how we treat people currently. And, you know, and, and, and they're willing to share so that we can change that. So take a listen step back and think, okay, you know, what can I do to make this a better experience? And you'll be part of the healthcare solution. That's a great thing about all this. And they're giving us the opportunity and sharing the information we need so that we can move forward to be part of the healthcare solution. So in saying I broke up the talk on PT value, I probably uh, misspoke because this brings a lot of value to physical therapy and our time and our listening skills is a huge value of what we bring to healthcare. So all this really does tie in. So again, I thank you for coming back. I um, appreciate you listening and you are going to get a boatload out of this conversation. So pour yourself a drink. If you're in the car, pull over and pour yourself a drink and enjoy drink six of business baseball and bourbon with Lisa and Aaron. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another edition of Business Baseball and Bourbon with Jerry Durham. Thanks for coming back. As I mentioned today, I'm very excited to have Lisa and Aaron from the patient panel at CSM just, what, eight days ago and um, trying to get the word out to more people. Hopefully there are people from CSM listening, but uh, really want to get the word out to as many people and hear their stories and and understand why patient panels are really important. So welcome, Lisa. Welcome, Aaron. Hello. All right. So I think we'll get right into the um, first question and the most important question. Lisa, to you, who is your favorite baseball team? San Francisco Giants. <laughs> Good. So I think Lisa and I, I think Lisa uh, knows the history here. Um, Aaron is from Chicago, folks. I'm just going to pre-prepare uh, you right now. So here we go. Drum roll, please. Aaron, who is your favorite baseball team? I am a Southside White Sox fan. Oh, White Sox. Oh, good. I, yeah. I can roll with that. Just like so you say that side, C but... word, the other C word, I can roll with that. So um, this is a better start than the Mike Riley interview. Um, so happy to get this rolling. So without further ado, we'll get into the questions. And again, thank you, everybody, for uh, – for listening you know I was in, up, right? <laughs> What's that? You know I was sucking up, right? Oh, sh- sh- <laughs> recording. 
So we're going to do this uh, interview style like maybe some of you have heard in the past, but I do want to give Lisa and Aaron the bulk of the time to uh, share any thoughts and opinions um, they have. So we're going to get going here. So first question to you, Lisa, um, why don't you tell us why would you agree to be on a patient panel? Because I, I think that was a little strange to some people that even a patient would agree to be on a panel and share their story. So would you well, share? Sure. I remember the day that you called me, you DM'd me and said, can I call you or something like that? And we, we hooked up. And before you even said word one, uh, this was a year ago, right after CSM. And I, and, uh, I remember complaining to you vociferously that I never got invited to any conferences that I heard about all the good chatter on Twitter and nobody ever invited patients. And I was sick of hearing about all you guys having a good time. And I was really just razzing you. And I think your comment right after that was something along the lines of on that note. (laughs) And then I just went, it's freaking Christmas. I think it was careful what you wish for, to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe you feel that way, but I thought it was great. (laughs) So thank you. Good. So, I mean, we're going to go over to Aaron in a second, but so, yeah. So, I mean, was it to be at a conference or was it to share your story really? Because you were kind of razzing about being at a conference, but I I was asking you to share your story. So, I mean, again, why would you agree? Let's take one step deeper. Why would you agree to share your story at a conference? Um, maybe because nobody ever really asked me and I felt validated in being asked. Um, simple and straightforward enough. Yeah, I don't know how to describe it other than that. It, it, people spend time and money on the things they think are important. And, you know, CS spent time and money on me and through you and Sandy and Sarah and, you know, your peeps and they're now kind of sort of my peeps. Great point. No, that's uh, thank you. Good. So, Aaron, over to you. Why would you agree to be on a patient panel? Well, I agree with what Lisa said. Um, no one ever asks. So there's never an opportunity to tell it from beginning to end. And like I shared at CSM, several providers over the course of the years I was in pain dumped me. Um, so when you get dumped and then you start with someone new and then you get dumped, you never get there's no resolution to any of those treatments. They were just done to you and then you get dumped and you move on. So being able to tell the story as I experienced it from beginning to end was a really exciting opportunity to sort of revisit, maybe not the actual providers, because none of them were in the room, but to revisit sort of these experiences and glue them together in some sort of cohesive way. That's awesome. It's so interesting. I don't know. There's a discussion going on all the time that, well, we're all patients. But I don't think there's a lot of validity. Yeah, I see the way you're looking at me, Lisa. Um, there's not a lot of validity to that statement because, I, yeah, of course I'm a patient, but I've never had an experience like a lot, a lot, a lot of people. And maybe we should argue the majority of people. So, again, it, it's it's interesting and um, may seem like a stupid question, shall we say, to why would you agree. But as a provider um, – I'm going to use the word courage because to get up in front of what could have potentially been thousands of people, but was even 90 plus people um, to share a story that's so personal. I can't think of anything that could be more personal than your story. So I'm going to thank you both again for agreeing to be on the panel. And thanks for sharing why you would agree to be on a panel. All right, Aaron, now to you. Um, 
I mean, people who follow me on Twitter, people who are at CSM, know that I love the DPT students, and they know some of the reasons why um, I love the DPT students. But I would like to hear your opinion because you guys got to interact with the students and with the newer yeah. grads, one to two years out, and experienced clinicians, aka me. So you, you got to uh, experience everybody in the middle. So tell me, um, who do you think gets the most value out of a patient panel? A new grad, an established uh, provider? And we don't even have to talk PTs. We can talk to healthcare. What's your thought on that? I think that um, the fresher, newer providers were, maybe because they've had less patient interaction to date, uh, felt great. perhaps less even internally defensive about it, and it wasn't reviewing times that maybe they've done this stuff and sort of making it about about them. And no one made any comments to that effect or insinuated anything, but I could imagine myself, I would be sort of reviewing my own behavior and thinking, oh God, did I do that? Did I do that? Whereas a new provider, whether a student or someone brand new, these are just sort of lessons that they can be excited about applying in their practice when they start having patient interactions. And it seems like less of a referendum on their behavior and their profession because they haven't entered it yet. Ooh, interesting point. Um, I will speak for every physical therapist in that room who had seen a patient. We did sit there and go, did I do that? And by the way, the honest ones went, oh, fuck, I did that. So, um, yeah, so I'll speak that. That's uh, I love that insight because that is not something I had thought about, even though I spent the time during your talk and your talks, Lisa, doing exactly what you guys just said, defending some things, wondering who I screwed up with, um, all those things. So thank you for that. So, Lisa, what do you think? What was your take? I know uh, you shared a, share a story um, about actually spending time outside of the talk with some newer grads or DPT students. So what's your take on that? Who gets the most yeah. value out of that patient panel? Right. Um, I, I completely agree with Aaron. Um, also, with students and younger PTs, they don't have as quite, quite as much to unlearn, unlearn. of any bad habits. Um, and, yeah, I had a great time with um, James and Eddie on Saturday morning, one at Starbucks and one out at the lunch trucks. And they just kind of walked up to me and said, are you Lisa Mac and Cheese? And I said, yeah, sit down. And we talked for like a half an hour about their clinicals. And uh, I know I was talking to Eddie about pain science. And, and I explained to them about some things that were completely startling to me, how pain isn't always where the injury is and all that stuff that you guys like to yap about. And it was really great. I felt like, you know, I felt like I helped and uh, I felt, again, validated. So. Yeah. Cool. I love that. That That's great. That, I love that um, perspective. This is not something I was thinking about. I definitely was thinking about the experienced PT in the room. Um, so tell me this, because I asked you which one. So tell me what, in your opinions, um, let's go back here. In your opinion, what can the experienced provider, 15, uh, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, um, what can they take away from a patient panel? I think a ton because it can cause them, it gives them the opportunity to reevaluate how they are interacting with patients. And I think sometimes you get into the day to day and it's just sort of a drag. It's a nine to five. It's patient after patient after patient. You get tired and fatigued and their stories are draining. And if, if you are listening, the stories of pain and of suffering are, I, I can imagine, exhausting to to provide support for. 
And I think that perhaps it's a, an opportunity or a wake-up call to reevaluate what kind of practice you want to run and what kind of provider you want to be, and also to maybe look at the patients in front of you who aren't improving with fresh eyes. Um, I also think that it maybe could really encourage some sort of like reverse mentorship type arrangement where you get a, P- a PT that's younger than you or something like that to sort of mentor you in. Love that. That sort of concept of like, like what, as you, I think that seeing someone who's about to start out and trying to mentor them through that could be a really invigorating experience of reevaluating why you do what you do. Because sometimes you don't know why you do what you do. You just get into kind of the routine. So I think it offers a ton to someone who has an open mind. Open mind, I was going to say, and self-awareness beyond most of the people in healthcare. Wow, that's yeah. an awesome term, that reverse mentorship. And unfortunately, with my huge biases, the first word that popped into my head was all the egos we'd have to get over. God. Yeah. Um, and, and I went through it all. I, I don't claim not to have done any of this shit. Um, yeah, and you made a point. You're right. You get about, you know, you wake up, you don't feel good that day. You got 12 people on your schedule. Man, you better. You, you have to be in a place as the provider you got to be able to suck it up. You owe it to yeah. those people. And if you can't, you almost owe it just to cancel them for the day, which most yeah. people would not consider. But that, that's a good point. I love that reverse. I know as an, sorry, I know as an attorney, um, we've been told that it's sort of people come to us on the worst day of their life. The day that you meet a new client is the worst day of their life. And that it's your job, no matter what crap you have going on in your life, that you need to be supportive of them. And if you can't be, they actually had people come and speak to us when we were in law school about how you need to get a therapist or you need to get whoever you need to get to get your shit in order if you're going to try and help people. Because helping professions means you got to help people. And so that, wow. It's easier said than done, though. I mean, oh, I know, but we owe it. (laughs) So it's easier said than done, but, 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 and I don't like to use but very much, but. When we chose to be, and this is a big thing, I use the word choice a lot. When we chose to be a healthcare provider, we chose to commit to school, money, and a profession where we were going to be sitting across from someone who was going to depend on us. And when and when people lose sight of that, I don't know. But you yeah. can't. So there is absolutely zero excuse for that. And there was a discussion on Twitter this morning. Um, Kevin M.D., Rich Duziak, um, I believe, posted it. And it was along these same things, uh, less time with the patients, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, ah, and I kept going back to it just because we're poor communicators and we want to get them out of the room. And to your point again, you know, you, can, you can't just move on. Great. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Aaron. So, Lisa, what do you think? I mean, what can the established providers learn from the patient panel? long silences um i really think that like i said the students and the and the and the younger pts are more open to that and i think the the more established pts just need to remember what it was like when they were younger and they first had that fire for it um but there's also i also have a problem with some of the younger pts and pt students at least some of the chatter i'm seeing on twitter um is that so many of them, and maybe this is a huge bias on my part, as a matter of fact, I know it is, 
is that so many of them are like sports PT and athletes and getting them back into marathon training and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the, you know, the ubiquitous patient with the 12 ACLs and I'm, I'm just tired of it. I'm never going to have a body that's even close to average. And basically all that chatter means is that I don't matter quite as much. Interesting. And that's, and that's for anybody on the, on the PT continuum uh, as far as being a practitioner. Um, and, and that's my oversensitivity, but it, it doesn't mean that it's not true either. I don't. Well, right. It's true. So therefore, I wouldn't call it oversensitive. Um, my gut reaction is not is just to call it what it is, which is it is what it is. Right. That mm-hmm. and we all need an awareness of that. that. That's another great point. You know, that's why I like guys like Dustin Jones, who have gotten you guys. Right. Yeah. He, yeah was, he's great. he was there. And Dustin has brought. um a light to Twitter very quickly about home health and geriatrics and pictures of his patients freaking lifting kettlebells and doing awesome things, you know, and challenging mine, by the way, 22 years challenging my perception of what is strength training for geriatrics, right? So people like Justin, uh, Dustin, sorry, getting on here. And by the way, I've just with, since CSM, I've engaged probably four or five new PTs who home health, maybe geriatrics. So back to your point, uh, Lisa is, uh, we have to take a step back and think about what else is going on around us. And by the way, think back to the beginning again, when we weren't just this very hyper-focused, um, physical therapist, you know, to another point I want to make, I was having a discussion with more than a couple people, it's funny, the meeting, as you guys, I don't know if you guys knew, but CSM stands for Combined Sections Meeting. Mm-hmm. So all the sections have individual conferences. I would want to believe that people come to combined sections to go to other sections, and they don't. You think. They don't. <laughs> you know, Dustin poked in and out, um, but I talked to some people from Women's Health from other sections who said, every talk I went to within our section, I only saw people from our section. And, um, you know, I did a talk for PPS and then did a talk for uh, our private practice section in the mm-hmm. women's health. And really, if you guys think about it, what you both talked about in our patient panel was women's health, orthopedics, neuro, education. I mean, there were at least four sections, you know. Um, and I was talking to Dustin about how there should be a mashup of uh, geriatrics, neuro, and peds for anybody who's developmentally delayed because it's all that. There you go. So we could argue the patient panel was even a ped section. Um, so there we go. Now we got five. And the world's oldest toddler. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a great point. So that combined thing, we tend to get away even though it's combined, because we all have our individual section meetings during the year. So go to that and get your fill. I've challenged uh, students and PTs about two months before. Find find at least one, if not two, talks outside of your section to go to. Um, you know, everybody should probably have to go to a geriatrics and a neuro. Everybody should probably have to go to a geriatrics and neuro talk at this point. And that shows bravery on the PT's part, you know. Yeah. It's not always about the bravery of the, the patient. I don't feel particularly brave. It's just my story. You know, sometimes PTs have to be out of their comfort zone and push themselves, just like we have to push ourselves in, in treatment. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just thinking if there was a follow-up question along that. So uh, 
Lisa, the two people you you met outside of Starbucks in the food truck, were they at the panel talk? Um, yeah. Yeah, they were. That's what I thought. Yeah. Did, you, did either of you run into or get introduced to PTs who weren't at the panel talk? I'm curious. Not specifically that I was aware of. No, Aaron. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Okay. I saw the pictures from the ACL meeting, and I was frankly jealous. Jealous and a little bit ticked off. <laughs> People sitting on the floor. Like, oh, <laughs> You just wait. Don't tell anybody, but my goal next year is to have that whole patient panel be unopposed. So that means every single section agrees to co-sponsor it for two hours. That'd be, That'd great. be awesome. Yeah, we shall see. Um. Yeah. So again, so great input. God, this is great. I got to know you guys fair. No, I'm not going to lie. And purposefully got to know you guys a little bit before the panel, got to know you boatloads during that two hours. And then I've gotten to know you a little bit after, but hearing and learning more good stuff as we uh, have this discussion. All right. Back to Lisa. We got another question. Would you recommend a patient panel um, across all healthcare conferences. So g- give me your thoughts on that and why. And why? Um, yeah, I would. Absolutely. Um, because I think, I think the, the propensity in a lot of very technical professions of which medicine obviously is one is that they get to be very navel gazy. And sometimes patients come across, sometimes pa- they talk about patients like they're an impediment to the, to the job. And it's like, no, we are the job. We're yeah. not an impediment to your to your lifestyle. We are your job. You know, and of course there has to be a work life balance for everybody, for the patients and for the providers. But you know, if I'm seen as a, a pain in the butt, then why should I listen to you? Yeah. Um. So. Let me ask you this as a follow-up, and Aaron, you can answer both of these two. Is it valuable? So some of these conferences are specific, right, conferences. They're like orthopedic conferences or pediatric conferences um, or uh, whatever they are, or neural conferences. Does it really matter if the patient has had a diagnosis within the specialization of that conference to be on a patient panel at one of those conferences? What's your thought, Lisa? Um, I think it would be helpful, but I guess I need a, a, a better idea of an example of what you're talking about. Well, so let's say you, Lisa, you shared, you know, your story, um, from a very early age mm-hmm. to, um, what occurred then and how you got to be with Eric and mm-hmm. your relationship with Eric and even your relationship with, uh, your physical therapist, uh, during your adolescent years. No, that was about 10. Sorry, till you were 10. Sorry. Till you were about 10. And you, and you shared all that. So do you think that story has any value at, a, at an orthopedic conference? Yeah, because half of what I go through is orthopedic. Okay. Um, I think I mentioned that in my talk, too. It's like I had no idea until a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago, that you guys made any distinction between ortho and neuro. I didn't know that there were these little pet you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, I, I didn't know there was a distinction, and I'm still not. Cons- I'm not completely convinced that it's not an artificial one. Because 
You know, no, it's like oh. nobody has fine. <laughs> oh my God. But, and by the way, I saw a couple people throw that out during the week, um, which I loved. And it was about every patient's a neuro patient, right? Yeah. Um, and I know you've said that and someone else threw it out this week. And the thing is, like, I'm not fixable. And that makes me, quite frankly, less sexy than the average patient. Well, makes you less sexy, but makes you the value of your story once again. Because when a healthcare provider gets in front of someone who's not fixable, they tend to freeze up. Yeah. And the best PTs I've ever worked with, and I can, I can see them clear as day. And there's two or three of them. They were the ones who helped mentor me on what to do with people that I sat there going, what the fuck are we doing here? We can't do anything for this person. Mm -hmm. And they were the ones that helped take me through the process that they go through. Because mm-hmm. then I would be the guy giving up on you, Lisa, and I'm serious about that. And so the good PTs understand what it means, the difference of what you just said. So let me ask you again. So would your story be – and there is no right or wrong answer. I just – I have some thoughts. It, would your story be valuable at a radiology conference, at a urology conference? I don't know what radiologists talk about, so I can't advise okay. there. That's all right. Yeah, that's fair. Probably. Just curious. You know, just curious. I have pelvic issues. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. So, Aaron, let, um, if you don't mind, start from the beginning, and you can weave all this in there. But again, are patient panels valuable across all healthcare conferences and groups and stuff like that? I think so. I think that the experiences we shared at CSM are universal. They are experienced in some way by. By every patient, regardless of, I mean, my my experiences that I shared at CSM weren't all PT examples. Um, and one of the things I said at the beginning of my talk was I couldn't have gotten that bad without medical help. But I didn't say without PT. I that, said without You know what? Help and I turned it into PT in that interview last week. I, I didn't mind throwing us under the bus. I thought you said healthcare, but... It was say that quote again and tell people what you were saying in reference to because I want people to hear that from you. I couldn't have gotten as bad as I was without medical help. Yeah. Um, I went into PT and went into my first pain doctor wearing I had pelvic issues, wearing um, yoga pants and underwear, and being able to. I was running stairs for exercise um, and lunges and all this stuff. And by the time I left, my first public PT after four months, I was, I couldn't wear pants, couldn't wear underwear. And after several more years, I ended up in a wheelchair. And this was all well under intensive medical supervision. This was the stuff that was done to me, made me worse. And this included everything from the medications I was using. So I could have used the help of the compounding pharmacy in detecting common medication reactions to the stuff being used in their ingredients to the people who were taking the scans to the people. I mean, everybody who I came into contact with over the years could have easily benefited from hearing what they put me through. They all, all put together, all glued together. They are why I got so bad. Um, that's, so an many interesting, that's an interesting thought right there is everybody along the way from the person doing the scan to the pharmacist who didn't didn't make you aware. That is interesting. Yeah. Wow. See, I didn't even think of it that deep either. Wow. Yeah. So they were complicit in a way. Wow. They were complicit in a way. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I agree fully. And so back to why I was 
badgering you, Lisa. Um, my opinion is your story is valuable regardless of what group you're talking to. You know, and Aaron just made me think you guys, you know, you guys could be talking to a group of, again, pharmacists. You guys could be talking to a group of people in a hospital that just transport patients to and from stuff. You know, and the guy that wheeled me, I, I've spent probably in the last two years, three weeks total in the hospital. The guy that wheeled me in a wheelchair and goes over the bridges between rooms too fast and you're in horrible pain and you've got like a morphine drip hooked in your arm and they're knocking you through doors. He could benefit from it. I mean, it's just humanity. It's seeing us as people who, and using like exercising the golden rule, like really basic concepts of treat us like people. The things you teach at kindergarten. Yeah. So I think everyone can benefit from it. Um, Yeah. (laughs) This is interesting because now you're making me think empathy isn't just for the providers. Yeah. We get in our own little world and we think it's about just for the providers. Well, it's kind of that classic example, right? You walk into the doctor's office and there's a bell on the door. So you know the person at the front desk heard you and they don't cup at you. I play a game when I go into the doctor's office. If that happens, I don't say anything, and I see how long it takes for him to look up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is uh, that is some good stuff. Did um, so again, more important stuff. And feel free to kick in. Um, oh, Lisa, I want you to share. Aaron just uh, shared, I think, probably one of the most quotable lines of the talk, and I want you to share the one that I really embraced and really jumped off the page of me when you were speaking. Um, and I asked you to send it to me in the text. Do you remember which one I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 Objectivity. Yeah. Will you share that and kind of in the context that you shared it, please? Well, and it, what's odd about that is that I, that was an afterthought. I put that in, in the very end, maybe a couple of weeks before conference, because I've been hearing all it's, it's about the objectivity and subjectivity and the, and the line is, if I can remember, um, objectivity is great for many things, but subjectivity gets a bad rap. Like it's the slightly dumber cousin of the thought process. And the reason I put that in there is because Twitter is all is full of people who who love to expound on how objective they are and how scientific they are and how this and how that. And there's a time and a place for that. And I would say most of the time, objectivity is probably going to to help you sail your ship better and, and more true. But if you, if you denigrate subjectivity, then you're basically saying that people's feelings don't matter yeah, that's and they, they don't motivate decisions mm-hmm. or treatments. And I'm not talking about just the emotions on the side of the patient. I'm talking about emotions on the side of the PT. It's like, Oh no, 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 no. I'm too scientific. I'm, I've been too educated. I can't be subjective. I have all this data in my head. Yes, you can, <laughs> you know, yeah. and you have to watch for that. It's all right to be biased as long as you know you're biased. Yeah, isn't that interesting? That well, And that's my take on it, too. We spend a lot of time, and that's actually probably what I've taken most from the research-driven stuff on Twitter is learning my biases. So make sure and read, read through. Every time someone posts about a bias or something, um, I read through to understand where I fit in that continuum. And all biases is, is it's, it's telling you what you value. Yeah. That's all it is. It's, I mean, this, val- this is more valuable to me, to me than this. Okay? That's all that is. Yeah. People denigrate it like it's, oh, it's, it's so emotionally primitive. No, it's not. 
Yeah, we do. Oh, man, we do that so well. What's your take on that, Aaron, the subjective versus objective and the push to? Yeah, And I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm thinking of. I'll tip you off. I'm thinking of that email that was sent to you full of objective information for you, Aaron. Yeah. So when I was looking for a physical therapist in Chicago, I was given two recommendations, one to a woman who's well known for doing pelvic PT and one for Sandy Hilton, who my my doctor hadn't worked with before, um, but he heard good things. And Sandy, of course, had this crazy idea that if patients are calling for appointments, maybe they need to be seen like soon. Bizarre. And it was bizarre to me when I I made the appointment. I think she said I could see you tomorrow. And I was like, what? Yeah, Um, that should have made you suspect at best, right? Yeah, oh, like, and I right. think I made it to my good. husband, like, what, what's going on here? Like, do they not have anything going on? I'm used to, I had been, the previous few PTs, I'd waited three to five months. Oh, my gosh, you could be dead by then. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, they were running enough tests that that was probably not going to happen. <laughs> but, um, so this other woman who I made an appointment with sends me an email, and I had canceled with her because... I had seen Sandy twice and I was going to go that route and didn't want to be seeing two PTs with different approaches. I wanted to know what was working. Um, And I got an email with very specific enumerated things I should and should not do. And she went so far as to say, without seeing me or knowing what was going on with me, what nerve she thought was involved. Never talked to you. Let's clarify. No, never spoke with her. I want this clear as day. You never spoke with her. She never reviewed a file. Nope. Nothing. Nothing. Uh, received a prescription from my doctor for pelvic PT. That's okay, it. There you go. So this Maybe is what she's working on. Maybe it had on it. Maybe. Okay, good. So this is this is what she's working off of to be to be an advocate for you and to do best for you. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. And that email was it was ridiculous. It pissed me off, and it still pisses me off when I read it. And I read it right before CSM, and I hadn't read it for like a year or so. And it pissed me off even more, knowing now that I have no pain. Maybe the last time I read it, I was in four out of ten pain every day. And when I received it, I was in ten out of ten pain every day, which creates a very vulnerable person. And it's really scary when you are living that way and you can't walk across the room without assistance. And Someone tells you you need to get on an elliptical <laughs> um, or do jumping jacks. It's very terrifying because it presents a situation of if I can't do this, then what? Then what does my recovery look like? But as I've healed and have seen how wrong she was, um, it really highlights how inappropriate it is to make objective determinations about what the best path is for someone without knowing their goals and their, their situation. And Sandy, she may have put this on Twitter recently, but her thing was always, well, should I be doing, should I be riding a bike? Should I be doing this? And I'd ask her and she'd say, well, the only kind of exercise you shouldn't do is the kind you don't want to do. <laughs> That's awesome. So she was like, she had at one point at, suggested I do something and I don't remember what it was, but I didn't enjoy it or didn't want to. And she was like, okay, then don't do it. But you don't have to do anything you don't want to. It's really simple. It's, it's, that's, that's not hard. What do you like to do? Yoga. Okay. Do that. (laughs) Yikes. So, uh, uh, 
Hold up. I'm still catching my breath. (laughs) Um, And by the way, I'm not going to, I'm just going to tell everybody listening right now. I'm not sitting here being holier than thou because I did, I've done a lot of this shit. I guess it just scares me that people continue to do this. Um, And obviously, obviously that that's a status quo for them. So it's not something they're going to change. Yeah. Can I interject with something here? Yeah. And this, this is a pet peeve, but it's, it's kind of sort of related to this. Um, there's sort of a, uh, an attitude with some PTs online and I, I'm sure it comes from the best places in their heart. I don't know if you've heard the expression and I've, I've seen it in, in several locations. Everybody's an athlete. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm neuro, you know, I didn't learn to walk until I was two or three. I'm never going to be an athlete. And you know what? That isn't, that isn't something I'm worried about, you know? I have value outside of my physical capabilities. I have value in them too. You know, that's a great point. That's a great point too. Is um, not everybody wants to be a Paralympian. Well, and and yeah, there you go. Right. Oh well, we'll get you ready for the Paralympics. No, I don't want to do that either. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, man, and that just comes again from guess what? How this question started from asking a question and listening to the answer, which is subjective information. Yeah. Um, what do you want? Yeah. Why are you here? I want to move better. Yeah. I want to be able to live independently. And that doesn't sound very sexy, but it's extremely important to me and has a huge impact on my life. And, and good. This is good, Lisa. This is segueing right into what I wanted to do next. Um, I want oh. you to share <laughs> another great quote that you said. You have to believe in PT. Why? What? No. Tell me out. You have to believe in PT because you're the, who's paying the mortgage, Lisa? Oh, I am. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. It's here somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That, that Eric was my plan A, that I had no plan B. Oh, real quick. Eric is your physical therapist. Eric Christensen, Chandler PT, Chandler, Arizona. Thank you. Um, I needed him. I didn't just need, need PT. I needed him. So, and my life is never the same, and it's all to the good. So let me ask you this, Lisa. So you live in a home with other people who help you out financially, right? No, I, I live independently. I always work full time. So I have a mortgage, mortgage just like everybody else. And by the way, just as a, a segue to that, if somebody had told me at 20 that I was going to have the kind of aging problems that I'm having now, I would have bought my condo at 32, not at 42. So I won't have a mortgage in retirement. Yeah. See? Right. Practical. Okay. So the longer you wait to tell someone the truth, because you're afraid to hurt their feelings, the less power you give them. That's especially important in pediatrics. Okay. Because Because this goes back to peds. This doesn't go back to when you were 32. No. When that five-year-old and that ten-year-old that you're, you know, you're trying to straighten their ham to hamstrings for the first time of many hundreds and thousands of times, that kid is going to grow up. And if you hold back on the truth because you don't want to see the parents crying, you've limited their choice, you've limited their power, and you've basically been negligent. And there, there was so much I learned at, in my 30s and early 40s, no clue about even before I started coming to Eric, I'd look up things online and go, oh, my God, what kind of crap am I up for? You know, 
things you could have learned if someone would have told you. Right. Yeah. You know, if I had if if I had spent the last 35, 40 years in PT because someone told me it would have been helpful rather than, you know, at, at 11, fly little bird, be free. You sort of graduated. Good luck. You know, it wasn't done maliciously. Right. People thought that all they needed to do was to get me to walk and then I'd be fine because none of this was progressive. Now, now I'm walking with two canes and this of course is still a not progressive disease, you know, an injury. And people don't talk about that. And I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm either the first or the second generation that's lived long enough to have aging issues. Ah, interesting. Because the NICUs weren't around in the 40s and 50s. Right. You know, I was born in the 60s. Right. So I'm the victim of my own success, basically. That's awesome. I got one more quick question for you, Lisa. And then, sure. Aaron, I got something for you. Um, <clears throat> how much disability uh, money have you taken over the years, by the way, to help you pay your mortgage? Um, none. I had a little bit of uh, a couple thousand dollars of educational uh, ex- expense uh, paid through Bureau of Vocational Rehab, but nothing, nothing financially at all. I've always paid my own way. Yeah, exactly. And I heard that during your um, during the panel, and I wanted to make sure I it, it fits in the context of everything you're sharing, especially back to the point of there's a 12 year old in front of you and you're not being honest with them. And this is a person who's going to want to uh, live on their own and pay their mortgage. That, that, that's kind of my point of bringing that all up. And it's not someone who's going to be, you know, living on disability in a group home with other, you know, with other people. That's, you know, and that's not to denigrate them. If you have to, you have to, if I have to apply for disability at some point, five, 10, 15 years down the road, if I absolutely have to, I will. But while I can work, I'll work. Right. Right. And that's, uh, wow. Because that's part of the societal contract, you know. Got it. It keeps me from being bored. <laughs> you know. It's always nice to pay the light bill, you know. I noticed your lights are on, so that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> they usually are. <laughs> I'm getting an air conditioner put in next week. That's putting me back $4,700. Yikes. In Phoenix. I'm not working at McDonald's or you know, goodwill. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. Ah, that's awesome. Awesome. So Aaron, <clears throat> so I wanted, that's perfect. Cause I wanted Lisa to tap into that about, you know, not having the feel good. Don't want to be honest. Saying. Um, something I loved about a uh, quote you shared and part of the story you shared that I've shared with a lot of people is that, um, and I want you to talk about it a little bit was the statement you made about treatments are done with you, not to yeah. you with Sandy. Yeah. Yeah. When I started seeing Sandy, she took an approach where we were partners in my care. She wasn't driving. She wasn't in charge and I wasn't in charge. Um, I consented to everything that was done and it was a plan that we put together together. We, um, yep. It was all, we, we are going to do this. I could lean on her. She was the first PT or provider I saw who I had mentioned I got dumped by several providers. She was the first one who was going to stand with me even through the really tough times. Um, she was available by email when I had my first flare, um, after I started seeing her, my first pain flare, I still have the email somewhere and I actually looked it up and I forget the number now. I looked it up how many emails Sandy and I have exchanged over the years. 
And I want to say it's, it's hundreds. We, and I actually, on my phone, just got a text from her. So we developed, <laughs> as if I'm cute, we developed a relationship. Um, and that was someone I could trust and who I trusted that had my best interests in mind. They weren't trying to maximize the insurance payout. They weren't trying to get me in and out so they could book their schedule with other patients. Um, it, it was her goal was to help me as a person accomplish my goals. Um, and she had the flexibility to actually do that. And in the past, with some other PTs, I remember one appointment I went into. Um, for a while, they were doing dry needling on me, but they were doing it like into my abdomen. And dry needling for pelvic stuff is <laughs> brutal. And one day I went in and laid down on the table, and they did 23 needles one day. And then I walked out, and I'm all covered in bruises afterwards and stuff. And there was no discussion. There was no, how is this going to advance my treatment? It's I lay there, I have something done to me, and I leave. Um, it's like when I get my hair colored or something. You just go in and something's done to you where you have no idea. I don't know how they do that. I couldn't do that. Whereas with Sandy, we I could do everything we were doing at the clinic at home, and she taught me self-care stuff. And That's she, really uh, Yeah, it's huge. It's huge to, to really emphasize that ability to be independent because I wasn't independent at all when I met her. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't independent at all. Mm-hmm. That was scary. Oh, it's terrifying. Yeah, it's terrifying. So she has really supported me through that to like learning to be not a patient anymore because I'm not in PT anymore. So I'm not a patient anymore. And I was so involved in the medical system. I became a professional patient. Um, it's, seriously, that was my job. And we actually talked about me and my husband that that was my job. Like, oh, no, you don't need to do the dishes. Your job is to get better. And that became how we lived. But, and that was little by little incrementally was taken, were steps taken at the advice of my providers. But you do that enough and you no longer know what it looks like to even exist as an independent adult. Sometimes because it's just it's, it's therapeutic. <laughs> yeah, and it's like normal. So yeah. then as yeah. I got better, I had to learn to be normal again. And because of... I'll share a brief story. Because of his his work situation, he ended up needing to leave Chicago for about a year, and I was going to live on my own. And I was fucking terrified. (laughs) I hadn't done anything by myself for a long time, and it was fantastic. Sandy supported me. I went to yoga. Her and Sarah Haig does yoga. I saw Sarah three times a week for yoga. I saw Sandy twice a week for PT. And together we learned how I was going to be an adult again who could stand on my own two feet. Mm-hmm. I started driving again. I started preparing food. I started the tiniest things that I had stopped doing because everyone told me to just focus on getting better. And I stopped living in the interim. And when, you, when you're told to focus on getting better, all that does sometimes is make you focus on being not well. <laughs> all you can think about is when you're in pain, all you can think about is your pain anyway. So when providers tell you to take the other stuff off your plate and just focus on getting better. When I first saw Sandy, she said, well, what do you do all day? Well, I lay in bed. (laughs) I'm focusing on getting better. I'm resting. So I'm basically laying in bed in 10 out of 10 pain, thinking about how I'm in 10 out of 10 pain and how this medicine is not working. Um, Which messes with your head. Oh, it's, it's, 
I'm still battling, and I shared this at CSM. Sandy's asked me over the two years I've known her, how many good days and good inputs is it going to take that you're not afraid of the bad days and bad inputs anymore? And I've had a lot of good inputs, but I am nowhere near that yet where I don't still get scared if something feels a little off. Um, and I'm not even talking pain. I'm talking I'm rock climbing now, and I tweak my hip and have this moment where I can feel <clears> – <throat> a little panicky where I wonder, is this going to be it? And it's because so many people encouraged me to just focus on getting better um, that I stopped living. So there's so much stuff in the bad, in the bad bucket mm -hmm. because there was so much mental energy devoted to it. Mm -hmm. um, so. so to that point, Aaron, one of the other statements you made was, um, was if do you remember if someone has a choice between two things? You remember what that choice was? Who they were supposed to if choose? If the provider has to choose between being an ally to their patient or to their patient's insurance company, you have to pick the patient. I had uh, providers for years who you go in and they ask the standard questions that you need to fill out the insurance form, and they might ask what my social security number and my date of birth were but not ask why I was there. I mean, aside from, oh, pelvic pain, okay. Um, not ask what my goals were, what I wanted to accomplish. Maybe wouldn't know my profession, that I'm an attorney, until the second visit when we need to make small talk. I mean, just having no idea about the complexities in my life and thus not really, this goes back to that email I mentioned, this is forming a plan without knowing me and without thus understanding what the hell you're even treating? That, that um, that's that's unacceptable. I'll use a word that I saw the other day on Twitter. That's unethical. Yeah, I, I will argue this to the death with anybody who wants to say ethics is this and that. It is unethical to sit across from a patient and not find out anything about them and make a plan for them. That is completely yeah. unethical, and you should be you should get in trouble for that. Plain yeah. and simple. And one of the things I, I shared at CSM was that. So I struggled with pelvic pain, and my my husband knew about it, but the other people in my life didn't, and I wasn't raised in a family environment in which this was something that was comfortable to talk about. I went to PTs, and I said things like, oh, I have hip pain. Oh, I have low back pain. I have bad cramps, stuff like this. I didn't have the vocabulary, and I needed them to have the vocabulary and have the dynamic uh, receptiveness to helping me that they asked the tough questions because what I could do when Sandy said, well, Sandy always says frequently when I would see her every several visits, peeing, pooping, sex, how are those things going? And it's way easier to utter a, an embarrassed yes or no. And I'm super comfortable with her now, but <laughs> at the beginning, it's way easier to say, uh, yeah. If someone says, do you have pain with sex? Then it is to bring it up to someone who's filling out a form, not looking at you. Date of birth, okay. Pelvic pain, how long has it been going on for? Pain was sex. Yeah. She sat down and had a conversation. And I actually went home after the first visit with her and told my husband, I'm like, I don't know what the hell she's doing, but this isn't physical therapy. This is a total waste of time. Um, and he encouraged me to stick with it. And it was uh, obviously my choice. What, that is what's so interesting is you want to get the hell out of there because you didn't think it was the right thing because – well, were so being, right, because things have been done to you, not with you. Yeah. Back to that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Awesome. It was like, why is she asking me questions? I don't know what the hell's going on. I mean, what does my opinion matter? What, <laughs> right. what does that matter? Right. Hey, uh, so Lisa, let's, um, so I think Aaron set up a good segue for us. You know, this relationship centered care, which I love the term. You shared yeah. some great stories about the relationship you and Eric developed over time yeah. and how it allowed you both, you, I'll say you both, but really you, to have a relationship at times when you could say no, no. And there was an understanding there. Can you share uh, right. about that? Right. Well, I think it's partly geographic. I'm from Philadelphia, and um, um, we don't usually have a problem saying no. <laughs> you know, if I don't say that, if I don't speak the truth to somebody on any topic, I'm wasting their time, and they are wasting mine. And as far as I'm concerned, that's one of the most unkind things you can do is to waste somebody's time. Okay. Uh, and yeah, there were times when I felt like he'd give me an exercise and it was too much. And normally he would just, you know, back off and we'd try it again later. And, you know, he, he was good about pushing me and knowing most of the time how far he could push me without totally exasperating me. But one of the techs that um, used to work at the clinic said to me sort of off to the side one day, he says, you know, I think you're the only patient that tells Eric no. And I'm like, okay, that's weird to me. But, yeah, you have to be able to say no. I mean, he and I have been together six years. I'm at least as invested in him as he is in me. And maybe that's a conceit to say that, but I feel that way. You know, I know his family. I know his kids. I know the stuff he worries about. You know, it's like having a, it's like having some days when you're on the table, it's, it's like talking to a bartender. It's yeah. like, okay, you know, you know, I have to trust him. He knows how to hurt me, you know, you know, and, and he puts needles in me with dry needling on a regular basis. It's been great for my hammy, less great for other things. So, you know, it's, I have to be able to trust him. And what's nice about being cash is that I can, I can go into any session and say, well, this hurts today. And this maybe hurt last week, and the next week it's going to be something else. And I, I drive the session. Most of the time I'll defer to him, but if something's bothering me, I'll, I'll bring it up. You know, because we work on my hamstrings primarily because my right hamstring is the only thing that works, and it's overloaded. My left hamstring does very little. Um, we work on my shoulders sometimes because my shoulders think they're hips. <laughs> you know, they really do. You know? And... I mean, like, I don't know if it was the first or second visit at at this clinic. I mean, I was just, I was close to, if not at tears, because I finally felt like maybe I can be okay. You know, maybe this is somebody that cares. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I just feel really invested in him personally. Um, you know... I don't know how to describe it any better than that. I know I'm kind of falling all over. No, bit. no, no. I, I think it's good. That's why I'm letting you. That's why I'm trying not to interrupt you, um, because it is good. I and I was waiting for you to pause because I believe the next question will really be sh will really show how much trust you guys have in each other. Because I'm not sure if you didn't believe in him nor his profession, why the hell you'd show up at a capital building in your home city to advocate for the profession. The dry so, needling. 
Yeah. Can you share the story? But I want a little bit, you know, you just shared. I, I want to set some context here. You, you shared about the trust and the relationship you built with him right. um, along the way. So th- this right. was not just something you did on a whim. This is something you did because of No, it was constantly. I used to tell him I hated him on a regular basis. And sometimes I meant it and sometimes I didn't. It was That's, right. a, That's a relationship in my book. <laughs> He's like, I know. <laughs> so. No, because you know, he'd work on my adductors for two or three weeks, and I'd be laying there just crying on the table because they were so tight. And he just kept working and, and thankfully was very quiet and respectful of my pain. Yeah. You know? I love that you said you actually you have a relationship with them because it seems like a lot of the providers I've seen have been so guarded where I'm there and they know all this stuff about me, but I know nothing about them. And it really encourages sharing to sort of break down that wall and, and develop some sort of relationship and an open means of communication. Where you, That's how you develop trust, it seems like. But it's taken us six years to get to this point. It was yeah. not right. Uh, and yeah. how long have you seen Sandy? Two years. And Lisa, Except you had six years? Six, about six. Yeah. Interesting point. You know what we're going to do? I'm going to save that because we're, we're going to continue that conversation about okay. building relationships. So don't say anything any, anymore. We're going to stop mm-hmm. there because I, I think we could feel I, I want to build on that because, again, all, all I'll preface it in saying is, Lisa, you built a relationship to the point that you showed up and and testified for Eric's profession. That doesn't happen just well, that. it wasn't official testimony. No, shh, 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 shh. <laughs> We'll share it later. No, I just want people to understand that. And yeah. Sandy's texting Aaron, and they're not, you know, she's not her patient anymore. Um, and I'm saying that in a very positive, good manner. Yeah. Um, so I want to I want to continue this conversation. This yet again has exceeded my expectations, and this is awesome. So I thank you guys greatly um, for putting yourselves out there for the podcast and giving access to hopefully lots and lots of people that were not at CSM. Um, So I thank you. Next year. Yeah. Yeah. I got got big plans. And, well, I mean, whether they come to fruition or not, but it just, you know, we get more – it's not so much I'm not so worried people are leaning on me to get more people involved from the patient panel side I'm like why should I worry about getting more patients involved I need to be worried about getting more providers involved we don't need to worry about getting more patients in the room we need to worry about getting more providers in the room so and I'm sticking to that so again thank you guys greatly for uh, agreeing to be on and by the way you're both agreeing to be on yet again is that correct that'd be fine one yes Okay, good. Okay, good. So that's on it. No pressure. <laughs> we'll be on again. So thank you greatly, guys. 